Trudy and I have three grandchildren. We love them all. And when I was thinking about whether to run for president, I made a decision. I decided that on my last day on earth, I wanted to look them in the eye and tell them I did everything humanly possible to protect them from the ravages of the climate crisis. These were the words of the governor of Washington state and 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, Jay Inslee, as is documented in the NBC News YouTube video titled Democratic Presidential Debate, June 26, full NBC News. Inslee's story is an incredibly compelling one as he ran for president on the basis of protecting American citizens and the world at large from the global perils of climate change. He was the 2020 Democratic presidential candidate who arguably had the most proactive political platform in terms of combating the effects of climate change. In this presidential debate that was held on June 26, 2019, and was documented in the NBC News YouTube video titled Democratic Presidential Debate June 26 Full NBC News, Inslee elaborates in his closing remarks that, quote, I know to a moral certainty if we do not have the next president who commits to this as the top priority, it won't get done. And I am the only candidate, frankly I'm surprised, I am the only candidate who's made this commitment to make it the top priority. If you join me in that recognition of how important this is, we can have a unified national mission. We can save ourselves, we can save our children, we can save our grandchildren. And we can save, literally, the life on this planet. This is our moment." End quote. Inslee's prediction that if the American people did not elect a president who made combating climate change a top priority, the necessary steps needed to do so would not be taken, proved to be quite prescient, considering that Joe Biden was elected president in 2020 and since has made some grave errors in regards to the fight against climate change, particularly by approving the Willow Project. If Inslee had been elected president, the United States, in all likelihood, would be in an entirely different situation regarding the threat of climate change. I am Paxton Phillips, and this is Politics with Paxton. A world on fire is an unbelievably frightening reality to live in. Unfortunately, this reality creeps ever so closer to coming into being with the expanding scourge of climate change. The 2020 California wildfires served as a tragic reminder that, in many ways, the world on fire is closer to reality than some would care to admit as a result of climate change. As the New York Times article titled, The Climate Connection to California's Wildfires, indicates, bioclimatologist Park Williams very succinctly illustrates the connection between climate change and the 2020 California wildfires, saying, quote, This climate change connection is straightforward. Warmer temperatures dry out fuels. In areas with abundant and very dry fuels, all you need is a spark. End quote. As Christine Hauser and Claire Moss illustrate in their article in the New York Times titled Smoke Pollution from Canadian Wildfires Blankets U.S. Cities Again, the wildfires in Canada produce smoke, quote, 
blotting out blue sky and sun, and blanketing dozens of cities with unhealthy air that triggered warnings to limit the time spent outdoors. End quote. Hauser and Moss elaborate on how, quote, air quality alerts, ranging from moderate to very unhealthy, were issued by government agencies from Montana to the Dakotas and parts of other states, including Nebraska, Alabama, Tennessee, Ohio, North Carolina, and along the Northeast. Residents were advised to take precautions, from limiting outdoor activities to covering up with masks. In Chicago, where the air quality deteriorated through the weekend, Mayor Brandon Johnson warned children, older residents, and those with heart or lung disease to limit outdoor activity. End quote. The NBC News article titled, New York City has the worst air quality in the world as smoke from Canadian wildfires rolls in, recounts how the smoke from the wildfires in Canada enveloped New York City in an orange haze that obscured some of its most famous landmarks and was met with shock from the likes of New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who called the situation unprecedented. The YouTube account called Rio Paso features a recording of an interview Inslee conducted with MSNBC host Rachel Maddow in the video titled Jay Inslee on Rachel Maddow Show 3-4-2019. In this video, Inslee highlights his understanding of how climate change negatively affects public health, telling Maddow that climate change, quote, is a health issue. The asthma our kids are having is, is just traumatic for families. If you've ever heard a kid wheezing, you know climate change is a health issue, end quote. Americans could see with their own eyes that Inslee was accurate in assessing how climate change is a public health issue in the form of the orange haze that was cast over New York City. These fires that have been exacerbated by climate change have had tragic repercussions. As Curtis Alexander describes in the San Francisco Chronicle article titled, How the Maui Fires Got Started and Became So Extreme So Fast, fires have been ravaging the island of Maui in the state of Hawaii, and, quote, what is similar between the fires in Hawaii and the West is the role of climate change. Higher temperatures and more extreme dry spells, alongside more extreme wet spells, have increased the threat of fire and intensified the burning. Since the 1950s, temperatures have risen an average of about 2 degrees in Hawaii, according to the state's climate data portal. What may seem counterintuitive, Hawaii tends to see more acreage burned after wet winters, like this past winter. Fire experts say it's due to the hastened growth of grasslands, providing more fodder for fire, end quote. As Jennifer Cinco Keller and Audrey McAvoy recount in their article in the Associated Press titled, At Least Six Killed in Wildfires That Devastated Parts of the Hawaiian Island of Maui, official says, The wildfire eviscerated many residential areas in Maui, quote, forcing panicked residents to jump into the ocean to flee the flames. Fire was widespread in Lahaina Town, including on Front Street, a popular shopping and dining area, County of Maui spokesperson Mahina Martin said by phone early Wednesday. Photos posted by the county overnight showed a line of flames blazing across an intersection and leaping above buildings in the town center that dates to the 1700s and is on the National Register of Historic Places. 
Aerial video from after sunrise revealed entire blocks of buildings reduced to ash and thick smoke in the air. End quote. Nuran Salier and Raja Rezak explained in the CNN article titled, At least 106 people were killed in Maui's wildfires, officials say. The tragic death toll from the wildfires in Maui is over 100. I believe these tragic and frightening wildfires represent a sampling of what a world on fire really could be like if Inslee, or someone with similar goals, is not elevated to nationwide and or global prominence in order to address and mitigate the scourge of climate change. In responding to the wildfires in Maui on August 9th, 2023, Dr. Lucky Tran tweeted, How much longer will we sit and watch things burn before we truly act like our house is on fire? End quote. Climate activist Edgar McGregor similarly tweeted on August 9th, 2023, in response to the wildfires in Maui, quote, Make no mistake, climate change is making scenes like this more frequent, end quote. Inslee commented on some of the wildfires that were exacerbated by climate change in the MSNBC YouTube video titled, Washington State Governor Inslee, We Have a Permanent Emergency, saying, quote, the reality is, we have a permanent emergency in my state, most of Western United States, indeed the whole nation. And because of climate change, this is an absolute reality that we are now experiencing. And when you ask, how are we feeling it? The, the thing that was most impressive to me in the last two weeks is we are feeling it in virtually everything in our lives. Today, we're getting ready to teach our children how to stay inside because of the smoke from the fire, fire from the forest fires. We lost billions of shellfish. Our oyster industry lost a good part of it, its crop. They're now rotting on our beaches. Our glaciers are melting. Our highways, our highways right now have buckled because of the heat. And today, one of our major east-west corridors is closed because of a forest fire over the North Cascades. So the point about climate change is you, you know, you can run, but you cannot hide. It will find you in one aspect of your life. This demands an aggressive, robust action to build a clean energy economy, end quote. Inslee declaring that the United States is a permanent emergency due to the effect of climate change was a very bold and important statement to make, especially considering how other prominent politicians have disturbingly mocked any acknowledgments of the state of emergency that climate change has put the United States in. As is documented, in the Fox News YouTube video titled, Tim Scott, This is an Unbelievable Dereliction of Duty, 2024 Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott said, quote, This is ridiculous to talk about a climate emergency when we have a border emer emergency that is an existential threat right now. End quote. What is really ridiculous is the notion that Scott actually genuinely cares deeply about addressing any purported border crisis. I believe that if Scott actually has a strong conviction about preventing a border crisis, he would recognize that he should not be hand-waving the issue of climate change and mocking the dangers it poses. As Inslee tells Maddow in the Rio Paso YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee on Rachel Maddow Show, 3-4-2019, 
Climate change is, quote, a national security issue. You talk about national security and do a great job and we all appreciate it. But it's going to get a lot worse if we have mass migrations due to desertification, creating political stability around the world. And you know who agrees with me on that? Our generals and admirals in the Pentagon. End quote. All Scott needs to do to glean the deadly ramifications of climate change is to pay attention to what is transpiring around him. It should be noted that, as is documented in Natalie Allison's political article titled Tim Scott Suspends His Presidential Campaign, on November 12th, 2023, Scott suspended his presidential campaign. The impacts of climate change are no longer confined to the hypothetical. The impacts of climate change persist in the here and now, in the form of the California wildfires, the Canada wildfires, the fires of Maui, and other dilemmas that affect numerous Americans every single day. As Kasha Patel explains in the Washington Post article titled, Climate Change is Making Pollen Season Even Worse Across the Country, quote, across the country, Pollen season is starting earlier and intensifying because of rising global temperatures and carbon dioxide concentrations. Previous research showed that pollen season lengthened by 20 days over the past three decades across North America, while pollen concentrations increased by 21%, end quote. Patel elaborates on how, quote, Warmer temperatures can shift the growing season earlier and extend it longer, as well as help plants produce more pollen. Higher levels of carbon dioxide can also aid photosynthesis, so plants produce more pollen, although more research is needed to understand the future increase." End quote. Patel specifically cites the research of William Anderegg, a plant ecologist at the University of Utah, who, as of 2018, quote, found the amount of pollen in the air is at least 8% worse because of human-caused climate change. At least half of the trend in earlier pollen seasons is also due to human-caused climate change, end quote. Whether it be due to the drastic California wildfires or the increase in intensity of pollen season, chances are the majority of us are already being negatively affected by climate change in some ways. I know I certainly am. That is, in many ways, why it is so inspiring that Inslee tried to unite the nation under the banner of combating climate change when he ran for president. Inslee even specifically framed his agenda to mitigate the effects of climate change within the rhetoric of unification and collaboration, announcing that, as is documented in the Bloomberg Quick Take YouTube video titled, 2020 candidate Jay Inslee announces nine trillion climate change plan. Quote, I hearken back to what John F. Kennedy said at Rice University. He said, you know, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy and do the other things, but because it is hard, because it organizes and measures the best energies and innovative talents of Americans. And I'm offering the evergreen economy plan to do that yet again, to call us forward to yet a great national mission, mission to invent yet a brighter future for Americans, end quote. Considering that climate change is a global threat that stands in opposition to us all, climate change should be the type of global crisis that unites all Americans. However, unfortunately, that has not been the case. As Jakar Amory 
and Craig Mauger. Detail in the Detroit News article titled, Dismantle the Climate Cult? GOP Presidential Hopeful Makes Appeal to Trump Voters. 2024 Republican presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has lambasted those who advocate for preventative measures against the impacts of climate change as the, quote, climate cult, end quote, and has presented an egregiously irresponsible plan to, quote, rescind any mandate to measure carbon dioxide initiatives, end quote. On the August 23rd, 2023 Republican 2024 presidential debate, Vivek Ramaswamy disturbingly announced, quote, the climate change agenda is a hoax, end quote. It should be noted that, as is documented in Aaron Pelish's and Caitlin Collins' CNN article titled Vivek Ramaswamy Suspends Presidential Campaign, on January 15th, 2024, Ramaswamy suspended his campaign for president. Some other political figures, however, have been more proactive in combating climate change, with some even commending Inslee for his efforts and activism. As Miranda Green explains in the Hill article titled, Ocasio-Cortez calls Jay Inslee's climate plan the gold standard. New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a champion of the Green New Deal, when discussing the plans that the 2020 presidential candidates had to combat climate change, said, quote, Jay Inslee's, I think, is the gold standard climate plan that we have right now, end quote. Ocasio-Cortez elaborated on how, quote, I do think that Jay Inslee's plan is a phenomenal blueprint, an example of where we need to go. It's got the scale, the jobs, and justice, end quote. Despite the misguided opposition that some, such as Ramaswamy, have to policies that protect against the impacts of climate change, Inslee was unapologetic in his vehement support for environmental protections that could safeguard against climate change, offering bold ideas and policies that can give political and historical analysts insight into what Inslee's presidency may have been like had he been elected president in 2020 instead of Biden. As David Roberts explains in the Vox article titled, The Four Best Ideas from Jay Inslee's New Climate Justice Plan, one of Inslee's plans to address climate change would sponsor, quote, equity impact mapping, end quote, a policy option that would establish an, quote, equity screen, end quote, on all federal policies to ensure that they interact productively with various communities' different environmental and pollution legacies, economic and racial demographics, community capacities, and climate vulnerabilities. An equity screen would prevent policies that create concentrations of environmental harm and allow for targeted efforts to combat the long history of environmental injustice in the United States. As Roberts analyzes, communities of color, quote, have suffered most from industrial pollution and are projected to suffer most from the effects of climate change, end quote. Roberts concludes the analysis on Inslee's equity mapping policy by highlighting how, quote, the goal of the equity screen is twofold, to prevent policies that create concentrations of environmental harm and to allow targeted efforts to address America's long history of environmental injustice. I like this idea a lot, even if it only involved gathering and organizing the information. Information alone spurs policy, 
It will be easier to take action on environmental justice when the geography and socioeconomics of environmental impacts are better mapped and understood, end quote. Inslee's equity impact mapping policy is of vital importance because many communities of color are already experiencing the hardships of climate change. As Marilyn Wiggins, the president of the Tanyard Neighborhood Association in Pensacola, Florida, explains in the book titled Rising, Dispatches from the New American Shore by Elizabeth Rush, quote, We're flooding worse now, but girl, the flooding has always been bad. And because we're a black neighborhood, the city doesn't pay us no mind. Any house that sits on the ground that's on slab, those people flood out all the time. We're surrounded by water. The Gulf of Mexico is right there, and we've got the rainwater coming at us from the other side, end quote. If Inslee had been elected president, he would have been able to implement this equity impact mapping policy and specifically identify communities such as Wiggins as those that were in need of assistance to address the scourge of climate change. Considering the disproportionately harmful impact that climate change has had on communities of color, this equity impact mapping policy is one that would have greatly supported the nation and one that provides compelling evidence as to why Inslee would have made an effective and productive president. Inslee even illustrates the imperative for an equity impact mapping policy in his 2020 presidential announcement speech that is documented in the King 5 Seattle YouTube video titled, Washington Governor Jay Inslee Announces 2020 Presidential Campaign. In this speech, Inslee, speaking about climate change, declared, quote, now, we must do this because there is no other issue that touches so much of what we care about. We know climate change is as much a matter of equity as, is, as it is a matter of ecology. It is the communities of color that suffer from climate change first and worst. They live closer to pollution-spewing industrial plants. They suffer the lack of commitment to reimburse and rebuild after natural disasters that increase because of climate change like Puerto Rico. So let's come together and build a future with clean air, clean water, and economic opportunity for all, regardless of zip code, income, or the color of your skin." End quote. This declaration by Inslee and his equity impact mapping policy are so incredibly important and valuable because disadvantaged communities have and continue to generally receive the most detrimental effects of environmental injustice. As Linda Villarosa notes in the New York Times Magazine article titled, Pollution is Killing Black Americans, this community fought back. Kylan Johnson, who lived in the predominantly black community of the Grays Ferry neighborhood of South Philadelphia, practically her entire life developed asthma at eight years old and developed cancer at a relatively young age as well eventually confiding in her neighbor, Sylvia Bennett, about her diagnosis. According to Via Rosa, quote, because Johnson's disease was so uncommon, doctors at University Hospital had to formulate a special treatment plan. Gallbladder cancer occurs mainly in older people, and 72 is the average age at diagnosis. Johnson was 46. I started thinking, what was I doing with this? Bennett had an answer for her. Look across the highway, she said, pointing toward the massive 150-year-old refinery owned by Philadelphia Energy Solutions since 2012. 
that was so familiar to Gray's Ferry residents that it seemed like part of the landscape. Over the next year, Bennett and Johnson began to tally the diseases all around them, suffered by the people they loved. Johnson's father's brother, her uncle Robert, who also lived in the neighborhood, died of prostate cancer in 2010, and three of his children, Colin's first cousins, had also had different forms of cancer. Four out of six people in one household. Those three cousins learned that they had cancer earlier than age 66, the average age of a diagnosis. Bennett's daughters, Ladinia and Wanda, found out they had breast cancer several months apart, and when they were both in their 50s, Wanda then came down with multiple myeloma, a cancer of the blood. And now me, Johnson said, end quote. The importance of Inslee's equity impact mapping plan to deliver environmental justice is particularly significant. Because, as Inslee had highlighted, communities of color are the people most likely to suffer the effects of environmental injustice. The population surrounding 27,030 brownfield sites article highlights how, in regards to brownfields, quote, while there is no single way to characterize communities located near our sites, this population is more minority, low-income, linguistically isolated, and less likely to have a high school education than the U.S. population as a whole. End quote. For context, the United States Environmental Protection Agency article, titled Overview of EPA's Brownfields Program, specifies, quote, A brownfield is a property, the expansion, redevelopment, or reuse of which may be complicated by the presence or potential presence of a hazardous substance, pollutant, or contaminant, end quote. As Via Rosa details, for instance, quote, Black communities, like Gray's Ferry, shoulder a disproportionate burden of the nation's pollution, from foul water in Flint, Michigan, to dangerous chemicals that have poisoned a corridor of Louisiana known as Cancer Alley, which scientists and policymakers have known for decades. A 2017 report from the NAACP and the Clean Air Task Force provided more evidence. It showed that African Americans are 75% more likely than other Americans to live in so-called fence-line communities, defined as areas situated near facilities that produce hazardous waste. End quote. In her book, What the Eyes Don't See, a story of crisis, resistance, and hope in an American city, Mona Hanna Atisha comments on how the racial inequities in Flint, Michigan, and other areas throughout the United States resulted in environmental injustices being particularly damaging to communities of color. Hanna Atisha explains how, at the University of Michigan, she studied under Professor Bunyan Bryant, who pioneered, quote, the environmental justice, EJ movement, a movement that looked at environmental and public health issues through the lens of place, race, and poverty. Bryant was a Flint native, with family still there, and focused much of his research and advocacy on the city and its long history of polluting poor and brown neighborhoods. Bryant had even fought lead pollution in Flint decades ago, when a plant that burned lead-painted wood chips was built in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. End quote. Hannah Atisha, upon discussing environmental injustice with Dr. Lawrence Reynolds, the CEO of the Mott Children's Health Center, 
In regards to lead contamination, influenced water reflected on how, quote, lead shifts down the entire bell curve of intelligence. As Dr. Reynolds and I knew, not only adding more people with severely reduced intellectual capacity, but also reducing the number of exceptionally gifted people. We knew that lead is more prevalent in poor and minority communities, and thus lead exposure exacerbated our horrible trends in inequality and the too wide racial education gap. We knew that if you were going to put something in a population to keep people down for generations to come, it would be lead. Environmental injustice, Dr. Reynolds said, shaking his head in disgust. I know, I said. Some things don't change, end quote. However, if Inslee had been elected president and enacted his equity impact mapping policy, perhaps they could have. In the text of Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, Inslee even proposed policies to address the lack of clean water in places like Flint. One such initiative that Inslee proposed was, quote, launching a national clean water for all initiative to rebuild critical drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater infrastructure, and to close the 82 billion annual funding gap in water infrastructure. The initiative will fully fund the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund and the Clean Water State Revolving Fund to finance billions of new investments each year. Communities impacted by and at risk of contaminated drinking water will be the first priority in Governor Inslee's plan, end quote. Inslee also explains how, quote, more frequent and severe droughts caused by climate change threaten the water resources that support American families, farms, and wildlife, especially throughout the West, end quote. In order to address this dilemma, Inslee proposed, quote, increasing federal funding to chronically under-resourced programs at the U.S. Department of Interior and Agriculture, in particular, the Bureau of Reclamation and the NRCS, among others, that help secure drought-resistant water supplies in river basins throughout the West. This includes support for unique partnerships and locally-driven strategies such as the $4 billion Yakima Basin Integrated Plan, supported by Governor Inslee in the very first bill he put before the Washington State Legislature. A collaborative plan to build resilience for the river basin as climate change strains the water resources on which its farms, families, and fish all depend." End quote. These plans would have been incredibly helpful if Inslee was elected president to potentially prevent another disaster such as what happened to Flint's water supply from happening in the future. Inslee identifying how climate change exacerbates problems associated with procuring clean water and devising a plan to combat that is another highlight of his proposed presidential agenda. Roberts also details how, quote, Inslee would establish two important new or modified agencies in the executive branch. First, he would transform the White House Council on Environmental Quality, CEQ, into a Council on Environmental Justice, CEJ, that will, for the first time, center federal environmental policy around equity, justice, and inclusion. The CEJ would maintain CEQ's traditional functions, but with a new revitalized mission, 
Second, Inslee would create an Office of Environmental Justice inside the U.S. Department of Justice, DOJEJ, that would aggressively pursue maximum civil and criminal penalties under environmental law, in particular against repeat offenders, along with a fully funded EPA, Office of Enforcement, and a DOEEJ. These enforcement agencies would protect all communities from pollution, especially those most vulnerable and worst impacted. Among other things, Inslee's enforcement agencies would support lawsuits brought against fossil fuel companies by local communities, shareholder groups, and others. And elsewhere on the plan, Inslee vows to better enforce the Clean Air Act, to enhance and better enforce chemical safety laws, and to better fund and enforce the Superfund program. I love all these ideas because accountability is a potent theme for the 2020 elections. If there's one populist idea that unites the working class across racial lines, it is holding the wealthy and powerful accountable for abusing the system." End quote. If Inslee had been elected president, in all likelihood, these greater levels of accountability for fossil fuel investors. Through such initiatives, like Inslee's proposed Office of Environmental Justice within the Department of Justice, DOJEJ, that would promote maximum civil and criminal penalties under environmental law against those who violate it, particularly against repeat offenders, would have been realized. Inslee's promise to use the EPA Office of Enforcement and the DOJEJ if he was elected president to protect Americans from pollution means that communities such as the one in which Johnson lived in would hopefully no longer have so many of their community members developing asthma and cancer to satisfy the greed of certain polluters. It stands to reason that Inslee would have successfully enacted these plans to establish greater accountability for polluters if elected president, because he has already done so in his own state of Washington. As Nicholas K. Geranios states in the Herald Net article titled, Inslee Signs Ambitious Environmental Protection Laws, quote, Inslee also signed Senate Bill 5141, known as the HEAL Act, which calls for taking steps to bring environmental justice to poor communities that often receive a disproportionate share of pollutants. Inslee noted that life expectancy can be more than five years lower for people who live in poor areas with higher rates of pollution. Every Washingtonian deserves the right to breathe clean air, Inslee said, noting that many children in poor communities suffer from asthma. The bill requires state agencies to conduct environmental justice assessments to see what agency actions could be done to help overburdened communities." End quote. The Medium article, titled, Inslee Signs Climate Change Legislative Package, documents how one of the primary accomplishments of Inslee's HEAL Act, quote, is the establishment of an Environmental Justice Council where voices from overburdened communities are put front and center alongside environmental justice experts. The council will advise the state in future policy and outreach work and will track progress for accountability. Through the HEAL Act, the Environmental Justice Council, not corporate special interests, were given a predominant influential position in the discussions about environmental protection. Had Inslee been elected president, his actions in regards to supporting the HEAL Act provide a guideline for how he likely would have approached 
the establishment of the DOJEJ, always ensuring to elevate voices who are too often silenced and ignored. As governor of Washington, Inslee implemented specific precise measures intended to promote greater accountability for polluters that outlined some of the very effective legislative strategies that he may have championed as president. According to Gerenios, Inslee, quote, signed Senate Bill 5022, which will reduce plastic pollution in Washington by banning certain styrofoam products, requiring that customers ask for plastic silverware, and requiring more recyclable content in plastic bottles and other containers. This is the strongest recycling bill in the nation, Inslee said, while signing the measure at the Seattle Aquarium. End quote. Geranios elaborates on how Inslee also signed the Climate Commitment Act into law and how, quote, among the measures in the Climate Commitment Act was House Bill 1050, which regulates hydrofluorocarbons. The bill sets strict regulations for ozone-depleting substances to HFCs, which are primarily used in cooling and refrigeration. The reduction called for in HB 1050 will reduce the climate impact of refrigerants used in air conditioners by roughly 70% and in commercial refrigeration systems by around 90%. HB 1050 demonstrates Washington's climate leadership on the issue of super-polluting HFCs, said Christina Theoridi of the Natural Resources Defense Council, end quote. Had Inslee been elected president... Not only would Washington state be leading the way in terms of restricting super-polluting HFCs, but Washington, D.C. would be leading the way nationally in combating climate change. The imperative for greater accountability in regards to environmental justice in the 2020 presidential election and how then-United States President Donald Trump and his administration had insidiously worked to protect polluting corporate interests from facing any accountability. As Nadja Popovich, Livia Albeck Ripka, and Kendra Pierre Lewis explain in their article in the New York Times titled, The Trump Administration Rolled Back More Than 100 Environmental Rules. Here's the full list. The Trump Administration, quote, froze civil penalties for companies that violate fuel efficiency standards at $5.50 for every tenth of a mile per gallon over the standards. They were slated to increase to $14 for every tenth of a mile per gallon in the model year 2019. A federal court reinstated the higher penalty, but the Trump administration continued to delay its implementation. End quote. Had Inslee been elected president in 2020, his proposals to establish the DOJEJ would have represented a major and significant departure from the policies of the preceding Trump presidency. Inslee would not have been beholden to polluting corporate interests as his proposed presidential policies and the HEAL Act demonstrate, quite unlike the Trump administration. As the Los Angeles Times article titled, EPA Chief met with Dow Chemical CEO before deciding not to ban toxic pesticide. Trump's Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, Administrator Scott Pruitt met with a CEO of Dow Chemical, Andrew Liveris, shortly before announcing his intention to delay a petition, quote, to ban Dow's chlorpyrifos pesticide. 
from being sprayed on food, even though a review by his agency's scientists concluded that ingesting even minuscule amounts of the chemical can interfere with the brain development of fetuses and infants, end quote. It should be noted that, as Taylor Link's Salon article titled, Dow Chemical Gave President Trump $1 million for his inauguration, they now want him to toss a study on pesticides, Dow Chemical donated $1 million to Trump's inauguration and subsequently had three of its lawyers urge the Trump administration to, quote, set aside the findings of government studies that would reflect negatively on the company, end quote, studies that pertained to various pesticides, including chlorpyrifos. The Trump administration's abdication of the EPA's mission to pursue environmental justice in exchange for rewarding corporate special interests highlights how much Inslee's policies to pursue greater accountability for such corporate special interests were, and still are, desperately needed in the executive branch. Inslee proved time and time again throughout his 2020 presidential campaign, as well as his public life in general, that he would not cater to the demands of any corporate special interests. As Alexander C. Kaufman recounts in the Huffington Post article titled, Jay Inslee pledges to reject fossil fuel money ahead of climate-centered 2020 bid, which was first published on January 9th, 2019, and was updated on March 1st, 2019. Inslee, quote, signed a pledge Tuesday promising to reject donations from the fossil fuel industry ahead of a likely run for the White House that he's vowed to uniquely center on climate change, end quote. As the Democracy Now! YouTube video titled Washington Governor Jay Inslee outlines his climate crisis plan, documents, Inslee described how, quote, I'm refusing to accept that money and was the first to sign that pledge, end quote. According to Kaufman, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders took this pledge before Inslee did, so Inslee may not have been the absolute first 2020 Democratic presidential candidate to pledge to not accept any money from the fossil fuel industry. However, even if Inslee was not the first, he was one of the first candidates to do so. Inslee's admirable commitment to refusing to take money from the fossil fuel industry and have any decisions he makes be influenced by it sets a stark contrast between Inslee and Trump and provides some helpful insight into how Inslee may have governed the country if he was elected president. Inslee's commitment to better enforce the Clean Air Act also draws a stark contrast between his governing style and that of Trump. As Julia Elprin and Brady Dennis detail in the Washington Post article titled, Trump EPA finalizes rollback, making it harder to enact new public health rules, Trump's presidential administration developed a benefit-cost rule, quote, that could make it more difficult to enact public health protections by changing the way the Environmental Protection Agency calculates the costs and benefits of new limits on air pollution. The new cost-benefit requirements, which apply to all future Clean Air Act rules, instruct the agency to weigh all the economic costs of curbing an air pollutant but disregard many of the incidental benefits that arise such as illnesses and deaths avoided by a potential regulation. In other words, if reducing emissions from power plants also saves tens of thousands of lives each year by cutting suit, those co-benefits should not be counted." End quote. 
as Emma Neuberger highlights in the CNBC article titled Biden Administration to Roll Back Trump-Era Rule on Clean Air Regulations. When Biden succeeded Trump as president, his administration worked to repeal the benefit-cost rule, with Biden's EPA saying that, quote, the previous rule imposed restrictions on cost-benefit analyses for Clean Air Act rulemaking without explaining why those requirements were necessary. The agency also said the restrictions by Trump would have limited the EPA's ability to use the best available science in developing Clean Air Act regulations, a move it argued would be inconsistent with economic best practices, end quote. In this particular case, the Biden administration's actions likely reflect how Inslee would have governed as president as well, trying to repeal the benefit-cost rule. Inslee's commitment to enforcing the Clean Air Act was very important in the wake of the Trump administration having weakened it. Inslee also developed an innovative plan to help low-income American citizens pay their energy bills that he likely would have enacted if he was elected president. As Roberts describes, if elected president, quote, Inslee would create a Universal Clean Energy Service Fund, UCESF, modeled on the Universal Service Fund established in 1997 to promote universal access to telecommunication services in the U.S. to reduce electricity costs for low-income families through power bill reductions, building energy retrofits, and also distributed energy resources like solar. The UCESF would partner with similar state public benefit funds and the Federal Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, to ensure that every household has reliable access to clean energy. Inslee would also direct the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, to ensure that its grants and rental assistance to low-income housing developers are tied to strong incentives for building owners and property managers to invest in cost-saving building retrofits that improve living conditions, green energy use, the environmental impact of buildings, and permanently lowering bills for tenants and homeowners, end quote. I believe this would all be incredibly beneficial and definitely support Inslee's initiative to develop a Universal Clean Energy Service Fund, UCESF, to promote universal access to telecommunication services within the United States in an effort to reduce electricity costs for low-income households through building energy retrofits, power bill reductions, and distributed energy resources such as solar. Such an initiative would have been incredibly important if Inslee was elected president in fully realizing his plan to make a concerted effort to do battle with climate change. If Inslee had been elected president, he would have also addressed the reality that the current transportation system within the United States considerably relies on fossil fuels. According to Roberts, if elected president, Inslee planned to develop a massive federal investment in public transit build-out with zero-emission technologies to reach marginalized communities as well as in electric vehicle infrastructure. As Roberts notes, Inslee's plan quote, includes a massive federal investment in public transit build-out with zero-emission technologies to reach marginalized communities, investments and resources devoted to transit-oriented development, a revival of the HUD, EPA, USDOT, Sustainable Communities Initiative, 
and investments in electric vehicle infrastructure. It includes new investments in affordable housing, new protections for renters, and new sources of financing to encourage low-income homeownership. It includes the creation of a national housing stabilization fund to offer temporary rental support and financial assistance to families facing economic dislocation or short-term financial challenges due to lost wages, bills for medical care, transportation, and child care. End quote. Roberts wrote another article in Vox titled, Jay Inslee Promised Serious Climate Policy and He is Delivering, in which Inslee's climate mission agenda is outlined. As recounted by Roberts, Inslee set three main goals that he would aim to reach if elected president, that being to set the United States on a path to achieve by 2030, 100% carbon neutral electricity, 100% zero emissions in new light and medium duty vehicles in all buses, and 100% zero carbon pollution in all new commercial and residential buildings. Inslee illuminates the imperative for his plan to achieve carbon neutral electricity in the Democracy Now! YouTube video titled Washington Governor Jay Inslee outlines his climate crisis plan, declaring, quote, we have to get off coal, and that is just a certainty, and that is something you just have to do in the next decade. So my plan, which is unique amongst the candidates, would essentially eliminate coal-based electricity beginning 10 years from now, and that is a hard cap. It is a, it is a legally enforceable cap. It's, it's not a suggestion to the utilities, it is a requirement. Second, we need to go to a fossil-free electrical grid by the middle of the next decade. And that's necessary according to the science. And again, this would be a legally binding requirement on the utilities. And that's necessary according to the science. You know what, and, and, and one of the issues here is, you know, you can negotiate with Republicans. Sometimes, you can negotiate with your spouse. You cannot negotiate with physics or chemistry. We have to accomplish these goals. Then, I would also, in the transportation sector, we have to have cars and buses that do, you know, run on something other than gas and diesel in the next decade. That needs to be a requirement as well. So those are sort of three pillars, together with an investment strategy of about $300 billion a year that's going to create 8 million jobs. And these are good union jobs, by the way. We want to increase wages at the same time. End quote. Inslee did not set any of these goals without clear plans on how to achieve them. In his 2020 presidential campaign, Inslee detailed the specific policies that he would pursue in order to realize these promising objectives in the battle against climate change, thereby giving political and historical analysts further insight to what Inslee's prospective administration may have been like. Inslee's plan to achieve carbon-neutral electricity, according to Roberts, quote, is modeled after the 100% clean bill his own state of Washington just passed. It sets a clean energy standard, CES, whereby all utilities must deliver carbon neutral power by 2030 and 100% clean renewable and zero emission electricity by 2035. Two notes. First, carbon neutral is a specific term of art. It means that if utilities fall short, of 100% clean energy in 2030, they can make up the difference by investing in other carbon-reducing projects, like 
say, energy efficiency retrofits for customers. It's a clever way to induce non-federal investment in those projects. Second, the language here. Clean, renewable, and zero emission pointedly leaves room for hydro, nuclear, and fossil fuels, or biomass with carbon capture, a small-c Catholic approach to clean energy that I think makes sense." End quote. Roberts elaborates on how exactly Inslee intended to achieve his clean, zero-carbon electricity plan by outlining several of Inslee's key specific policies to accomplish this goal. Quote, offering refundable tax credits for clean energy projects tied to job quality standards such that developers can only get the full credit if they make good faith efforts to pay union wages, hire union labor, seek out women and minority-owned contractors, etc. This both spurs clean energy development and ensures that it creates high-quality jobs. Investing in frontline communities, like communities where coal plants are shut down, for worker and community transition assistance and community-based projects, working with utilities to encourage on-bill financing of efficiency and distributed energy projects, accelerating the evolution towards performance-based utility regulation, end quote. The emphasis that Inslee proposed to place on having developers seek out women and minority-owned contractors echoes Inslee's promise to transform the White House Council on Environmental Quality, CEQ, into a Council on Environmental Justice, CEJ, to focus federal environmental policy around inclusion, equity, and justice. Inslee, if elected president, would likely ensure that marginalized communities would no longer be silenced were overlooked, particularly in regards to the nation's economic and environmental plans. In the text of Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, Inslee outlines his Rebuild America Plan, a national building energy upgrade initiative that he believes, quote, will put millions of Americans to work, cutting pollution and energy bills for households and businesses through energy efficiency and electrification upgrades in millions of existing residential and commercial buildings throughout the country. This focus on existing buildings complements Governor Inslee's vision for 100% of all new buildings to achieve zero carbon energy by 2030. When operating at scale, Rebuild America will reach 4% of the nation's building stock each year, on average. That means upgrading approximately 1 in every 25 buildings every year for 25 years. Driven by strong consumer incentives, this will result in massive economic development, while achieving long-term cost savings for American homeowners, renters, and business owners through reduced energy bills. The Rebuild America program is a win-win-win-win. It will reduce pollution, save consumers on their energy bills, put millions of construction workers, electricians, and mechanical contractors to work, and result in a large economic boon for local businesses and domestic manufacturers. And it will prioritize its investment in frontline and low-income communities. Further, because federal funding is involved, it will ensure prevailing wages and worker protections are provided to ensure job quality, end quote at a time when many Americans of all different political allegiances are concerned about the nation's economy. Inslee's Rebuild America plan, particularly in regards to how it would incentivize reduced energy bills, would help save families economically at the same time as it would help save the environment. In Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy plan, 
Inslee highlights several of the policies and initiatives that he would implement if he was elected president in order to successfully realize the Rebuild America plan. Quote, driving private sector investment into energy efficiency by setting a National Energy Efficiency Resource Standard, EERS, for utilities to achieve all cost-effective energy efficiency measures. This is similar to standards set in the Washington State I-937 ballot initiative led by then-Representative Inslee and adopted by voters in 2006. Now a majority of states have EERS policies in place, and the federal EERS in this plan will strengthen utilities' performance targets by expanding the definition of cost-effective energy consumption to include the costs that climate pollution imposes on society. This is a particularly important initiative considering the Trump administration's benefit-cost rule. As Matthew Daly recounts in the PBS NewsHour article titled EPA Revokes Trump-Era Policy That Loosened Clean Air Rules, quote, Trump EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said the Trump-Era rule on costs and benefits increased transparency on how the agency analyzed the impacts of its rulemaking. But environmental groups argued that the Trump administration was gaming cost-benefit calculations to loosen environmental and public health protections. End quote. Individuals, such as Trump and Andrew Wheeler, seem to advocate for fewer environmental protections if they inflicted overbearing costs on corporate polluters. However, as Inslee outlined in Setting a National Energy Efficiency Resource Standard, EERS, that would expand the definition of cost-effective energy consumption to accommodate the costs of climate change. The costs will ultimately be cheaper in the long term if the United States federal government makes an immediate major investment in combating climate change. In the Bloomberg Quick Take YouTube video titled 2020 Candidate Jay Inslee Announces $9 Trillion Climate Change Plan, Inslee responds to some critiques of his evergreen economy plan by aptly noting, quote, Look, people say, how are you, how are we going to pay for this? I asked Donald Trump, how are you going to pay for Paradise, California? How are you going to pay for the billion and a half dollars of losses to our farm community? How are you going to pay Miami Beach for having to raise up Main Street a foot and a half? That's the question we got to be asking. So this, you know, 900 billion investment I make is the cheap and expensive way to save us from this massive loss of the American economy, end quote. Inslee's national EERS policy was a very proactive and important measure that he could have implemented if he was elected president to prevent corporate polluters and politicians partial to them, such as Trump, from claiming that the cost of undertaking major climate change preventative actions would simply be too great. If we do nothing, the cost will be far, far greater. As Inslee appropriately pointed out, the cumulative cost of all the repairs that have and will continue to have to be done as a result of disasters exacerbated by climate change dwarfs the cost of the Evergreen Economy Plan. If Inslee was elected president, he would prioritize the economic health of individual families and the country, not the needs of corporate polluters, donors, and lobbyists. Several other policy initiatives that Inslee promised that he would implement if elected president in order to enact his Rebuild America plan, as is documented in Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy plan, are, quote, 
establishing targeted refundable tax credits for installing an existing building's efficiency upgrades, such as HVAC systems, water heaters, including solar water heaters, envelope improvements, and system solutions like underground thermal energy storage and district heating cooling systems, as well as transitioning from heating oil to speed reduction in fossil fuel use. The credits will extend to commercial equipment as well, including advanced boilers and chillers, establishing a reserve fund for inclusive financing through utility on-bill investments in cost-effective energy efficiency upgrades for all customers, regardless of income, credit score, or renter status, expanding and updating the Weatherization Assistance Program, WAP, and the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, LIHEAP, to streamline eligibility verification across federal and state programs, and also to allow low-income consumers the option to pay energy bills that include efficiency, solar energy, and beneficial electrification. Partnering with labor unions, building managers, and the U.S. Green Building Council to create a national training program for building operations and maintenance staff to reduce energy use. This program will be modeled after the successful Green Supers training programs that have helped lower climate emissions in major metropolitan areas across the country. Providing significant federal funding for retrofitting and upgrading schools and public building stock for federal, state, local, and tribal governments. Putting Americans to work, making schools cleaner and healthier, and cutting taxpayer energy costs and pollution in public buildings. End quote. If Inslee was elected president, it stands to reason that, in accordance with his Rebuild America plan, all of these policies would probably have been implemented. These initiatives outlined in the Rebuild America plan would not only help save the environment, but would also help the economy and the burgeoning green building and infrastructure field, creating not only healthy buildings and communities, but also creating jobs and keeping the United States competitive in the global sense. Other countries are investing in green construction, and the United States will fall behind if it does not do so as well. In Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, Inslee also devised the Green Bank Plan, otherwise known as Clean Energy Deployment Authority, or CETA for short. This plan essentially, quote, will charter a new federal financing authority to catalyze increased and swifter investment into clean energy projects and other initiatives that reduce climate pollution, put Americans to work, and ensure affordable energy. Green bank financing can accelerate deployment of proven technology and lower costs for ratepayers and families. The CETA is modeled on the Clean Energy Deployment Administration first proposed in 2009 by then-Representative Jay Inslee and the late Representative John Dingle, Democrat, Michigan. It is also built on the proven model of the Washington State Clean Energy Fund, CEF, established by Governor Inslee in 2013, which has catalyzed a more than $100 million investment in job-creating renewable energy, efficiency, energy storage, and smart grid projects, end quote. Inslee's history of developing the very initiatives that the CETA is modeled upon certainly makes it quite plausible that if Inslee was to be elected president, he would have been able to implement the CETA, thereby satisfying multiple goals, such as protecting the environment and creating economic incentives and benefits for businesses to do so. It is imperative that climate 
super pollutants such as hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, and methane be immediately phased out in accordance with Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan. Executive authority could be exercised by the president to require that oil and gas companies find and stop methane leaks in pipelines that deliver gas to power plants and industry. The president could then take action in accordance with the Evergreen Economy Plan to incentivize the removal or repurposing of gas distribution pipelines to buildings. Inslee describes as much in Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, explaining some of his proposed presidential initiatives as follows. Quote, taking immediate executive action to phase out HFCs in accordance with the Kigali Amendment of the Montreal Protocol. HFCs are found in appliances such as refrigerators, heat pumps, air conditioning systems, and in some aerosols. Safer alternatives are available. Because American manufacturing industries have already invested more than $1 billion in manufacturing technologies that slash HFCs, this action will give domestic manufacturers a competitive advantage, one that has been estimated to support 30,000 American jobs and increase U.S. exports by $5 billion, end quote. Inslee elaborates in Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan on how, if he were to be elected president, his executive actions would have involved, quote, using executive authority to require oil and gas companies and utilities to find and stop methane leaks in pipelines delivering gas to power plants and industry, and taking action to incentivize the removal or repurposing of gas distribution pipelines to buildings. This commitment will be accompanied by further action to crack down on fossil fuel production that drives domestic methane pollution. Governor Inslee's plan will require methane pollution reductions throughout industrial activities, striving to achieve the full domestic technical potential for methane capture and destruction from extractive industries. According to estimates, U.S. oil and gas industries leak 13 million metric tons of methane pollution into the atmosphere each year, causing enormous climate damage, along with directly costing American energy consumers $2 billion annually. Stopping this abuse by oil and gas companies is an integral part of Governor Inslee's call to end fossil subsidies throughout his climate mission agenda. Supporting the deployment of biogas, methane capture, and utilization technology in wastewater treatment, livestock operations, and landfills, which will be used in specific applications that cannot be easily or cost-effectively electrified, provide on-site power, such as through co-generation, and provide value for farmers and local governments, end quote. What makes this commitment from Inslee to reduce the negative impacts that HFCs and methane have on the environment so especially important is that had Inslee been elected president, he would have had to grapple with the aftershocks of the Trump administration making it easier for methane to be released into the atmosphere, thereby making the threat of climate change ever more dangerous. As Coral Davenport notes in the New York Times article titled, Trump eliminates major methane rule, even as leaks are worsening, quote, the Trump administration formally weakened a major climate change regulation on Thursday, effectively freeing oil and gas companies from the need to detect and repair methane leaks, even as new research shows that far more of the potent greenhouse gas is seeping into the atmosphere than previously known. The rollback of the last major Obama-era climate rule is a gift. 
to many beleaguered oil and gas companies, which have seen profits collapse from the COVID-19 pandemic. But it comes as scientists say that the need to rein in methane leaks at fossil fuel wells nationwide has become far more urgent. And new studies indicate that the scale of methane pollution could be driving the planet towards a climate crisis faster than expected. End quote. Had Inslee been elected president, Inslee's policies would have been a useful and important countermeasure after the perils that the Trump administration unleashed onto the world, with it loosening regulations on methane emissions. In Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, Inslee made a commitment to building climate-safe and sustainable infrastructure, quote, by investing in sustainable transportation, clean water, power transmission networks, affordable housing, public school buildings, and smart communities, and efforts to maintain healthy, green, and natural infrastructure. This plan for 21st century climate-safe infrastructure will require approximately $3 trillion in additional federal and non-federal investment during the next decade, and these investments will simultaneously provide an enormous opportunity for creating good-paying jobs and local economic development. Federal investments in infrastructure must be accompanied by strong Buy American and Davis-Bacon requirements, as well as the utilization of project labor agreements. As he has done Done in Washington State, Governor Inslee's plan will also ensure, through the National Environmental Policy Act (NEPA), evaluations of life cycle climate pollution and vulnerability to climate impacts associated with all major infrastructure projects. As our nation builds more American infrastructure to sustain the clean energy economy, it must reject projects that are inconsistent with a safe climate. End quote. This resounding statement, as I will explain later, also set a very clear contrast between Inslee and Biden. In accordance with Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, quote, the federal government will work with manufacturers to increase their production and energy efficiency, cut costs and waste, deploy new leading edge technologies and harness new energy sources, and reduce climate pollution. Its efforts to accomplish these things will go hand-in-hand hand with investing in the skills of American workers and establishing U.S. leadership in emerging industries that revitalize our nation's productive capacity and enhance our global economic competitiveness. Innovating to achieve energy and resource efficiency will position America at the forefront of emerging global trends, and we cannot afford to give ground in this urgent call to leadership. Governor Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan will invest approximately $2 trillion in public and private capital during the next decade to deploy existing technologies and proven strategies to make emission reductions now, even as we invest in the innovation necessary to support America's continued manufacturing leadership. This plan includes strategies to bolster American manufacturing leadership use of the federal government's purchasing power to drive sustainability into industry supply chains, and new standards for climate pollution, as well as highly dangerous superpollutants such as methane, that will drive emission reductions throughout the industrial sector and position U.S. workers for global leadership. A committed federal government can be a partner in building cleaner, more competitive industries that allow manufacturing workers and communities to thrive as the global economy shifts to a clean energy future, end quote. Inslee also further drew a contrast 
between himself and Trump, explaining in Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan how, quote, under the Trump administration, the federal government has abandoned our country's historic role as a leader in scientific research and pragmatic public investment in research and development to spur the growth of new industries. From mission to the moon to the early beginnings of the internet and broadband technologies in DARPA labs to the mapping of the human genome, federal investments in research have often created transformative new economic opportunities. Furthermore, while technology exists today to capture significant reductions in climate pollution aimed at achieving safe and healthy climate, additional technological developments will be necessary to reach Governor Inslee's goal of net zero U.S. emissions by 2045. Therefore, Governor Inslee's plan for transformative energy investment in jobs and infrastructure also makes historic investments in innovation for clean energy and climate solutions." End quote. Inslee reiterated his commitment to promoting the economic well-being of the nation in Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, while simultaneously addressing climate change by noting that, quote, American workers built history's largest middle class an unprecedented opportunity through generations of sacrifice and labor to create a better future for themselves, their families, and the entire country. A determined and strong movement of workers, organized through labor unions, transformed industries defined by sweatshops and child labor into an economic engine that provided family-supporting wages, strong benefits, and job security. Labor remains the backbone of American economic and industrial might, but for the past several decades, workers and unions have been squeezed by stagnant wages and relentless attacks by increasingly powerful corporations and right-wing special interests. Governor Inslee's plan firmly establishes the American worker at the heart of our economy once again by creating millions of high-paying, high-skilled union jobs, building a stronger, greener, and more sustainable economy, and empowering workers in every industry with new tools to collectively bargain, challenge racial and gender inequality, and close the gap between wealth and poverty. The Evergreen Economy Plan creates a foundation of strong unions, fair wages, and family-supporting benefits that lifts up every worker at every step of the way. And when we lift up workers, we lift up the economy." End quote. This very powerful and important belief system was one that was consistently emphasized by Inslee throughout his 2020 presidential campaign. In the Bloomberg Quick Take YouTube video titled 2020 Candidate Jay Inslee Announces $9 Trillion Climate Change Plan, Inslee declares, quote, I'm announcing my plan for the evergreen economy, a plan to put 8 million Americans to work in not just any job, but good paying jobs across the United States of America. And I am proud to offer it to the American people, end quote. Similarly, in the Democracy Now! YouTube video titled Washington Governor Jay Inslee Outlines His Climate Crisis Plan, Inslee describes his vision for, quote, an investment strategy of about $300 billion a year. That's going to create 8 million jobs. And these are good union jobs, by the way. We want to increase wages at the same time, end quote. 
In Jay Inslee's Evergreen Economy Plan, Inslee even proposed the development of an appointed board of directors to govern the CETA that would include representatives from labor unions. Inslee was steadfast in his support for unions and American workers and was vehement in ensuring that none of them were left behind in the transformation of the American economy necessary to combat climate change. Roberts also had a Vox article published titled, Jay Inslee has a radical plan to phase out fossil fuel production in the US, in which some of Inslee's boldest plans to combat climate change are outlined. According to Roberts, Inslee planned to end a reliance on fossil fuel subsidies if he was elected president, with a plan, quote, that includes reversing a variety of federal tax loopholes, raising royalty rates for fossil fuels on federal lands, and ending institutional federal support for fossil fuels, a broad category that mentions, among other things, directing the secretaries of defense, energy, and the treasury to evaluate and report on the current and historical costs of protecting oil supplies around the globe. It also includes one of my favorite little side bits, transforming the Department of Energy, DOE, Office of Fossil Energy, into the Office of Industrial Decarbonization, end quote. What makes Inslee's plan to end the United States' reliance on fossil fuels so impactful is that fossil fuels have been an intrinsic part of the United States federal government's decision-making for at least a century. As Brian Craig recounts in the Miller Center article titled Making the Teapot Dome Scandal Relevant Again, which was published on April 11th, 2017, quote, as Donald Trump is looking to roll back environmental regulations, lease more public lands, and reorganize government to follow business practices, he would be wise to remember the Teapot Dome scandal of 95 years ago, the biggest presidential scandal until Watergate. On April 7, 1922, President Warren G. Harding, Secretary of Interior, Albert Fall, leased the oil reserves at Teapot Dome in Wyoming, to Harry Sinclair's Mammoth Oil Company. Several weeks later, Fall leased more reserves at Elks Hill in California to Edward Doheny of the Pan American Petroleum and Transport Company. The deals were done in secret, and Fall was later convicted of taking a $100,000 bribe, the only cabinet officer ever to be found guilty of a crime. The scandal trashed Harding's reputation." End quote. President Warren G. Harding's administration, particularly in regards to Albert Fall, was so obsessed with profiting off of deals with oil companies that it resulted in the major controversy that was the Teapot Dome scandal. The United States federal government has historically been so devoted to uplifting oil companies and helping lease out lands to oil companies that Fall committed crimes in order to do so. Inslee developing an actionable plan to end the United States federal government's reliance on fossil fuel companies thereby would have represented a major improvement in federal policy had Inslee been elected president. One of the reasons why the Teapot Dome scandal was so scandalous was, as Andrew Glass recounts in the Politico article titled, Senate Panel Holds Hearings in Teapot Dome Probe, October 22, 1923, that fall quote, had leased the U.S. Naval Petroleum Reserve at Wyoming's Teapot Dome oil field to a private oil company without 
competitive bidding. In the aftermath of the probe, Fall was convicted of accepting bribes and spent a year in federal prison, thereby becoming the first former cabinet officer to be sentenced to prison as a result of misconduct in office." End quote. Glass notes that the Teapot Dome scandal became the subject of an investigation by the Senate Committee on Public Lands. Inslee's proposed presidential policies would ensure that no scandal comparable to that of the Teapot Dome scandal could hopefully ever happen again. According to Roberts, quote, Trump has done everything he can to accelerate the exploitation of fossil fuels on federal lands and waters. Inslee would do everything he can to end it. So the first piece here is phasing out fossil fuel production on public land. Among other things, that would include a day one executive order banning all new fossil fuel leasing on federal lands and offshore waters, including coal, oil, gas, oil shale, and tar sands. Then, Inslee would instruct the relevant federal agencies to utilize all existing authorities to cancel and refuse to extend existing fossil fuel leases. Then, he would work with Congress on a permanent ban, oh, and reverse Trump's shrinking of federal monuments, end quote. The Teapot Dome scandal occurred because fossil fuel production was taking place on public land. Inslee's plan would effectively ensure this no longer would be possible. Inslee's commitment to have reversed Trump's shrinking of federal monuments is also incredibly significant. After all, as it stands, it was at least partially due to Trump and his administration's over-reliance on fossil fuels that these federal monuments were shrunk in the first place. As Eric Lipton and Lisa Friedman explained in the New York Times article titled Oil Was Central in Decision to Shrink Bears Ears Monument email show, which was published on March 2nd, 2018, Trump's, quote, Department of Interior was focused on the potential for oil and gas exploration at a protected Utah site internal agency documents show. The debate started as early as March 2017, when an aide to Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican of Utah, asked a senior Interior Department official to consider shrinking Bears Ears National Monument in the southeastern corner of the state. Under a long-standing program in Utah, oil and natural gas deposits within the boundaries of the monument could have been used to raise revenue for public schools had the land not been under federal protection. Please see attached for a shapefile and PDF of a map depicting a boundary change for the southeast portion of the Bears Ears Monument, said the March 15th email from Senator Hatch's office. Adopting this map would resolve all known mineral conflicts, the email said, referring to oil and gas sites on the land that the state's public schools wanted to lease out to bolster funds. The map that Mr. Hatch's office provided, which was transmitted about a month before Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke publicly initiated his review of national monuments, was incorporated almost exactly into the much larger reductions President Trump announced in December, shrinking Bears Ears by 85%, end quote. Unfortunately, this was not the only time in which Trump and Ryan Zinke's over-reliance on fossil fuels compelled them to make morally bankrupt decisions. As Lipton and Friedman elaborate, quote, 
The internal Interior Department emails and memos also show the central role that concerns over gaining access to coal reserves played in the decision by the Trump administration to shrink the size of the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument by about 47% to just over 1 million acres. Mr. Zinke's staff developed a series of estimates on the value of coal that could potentially be mined from a section of Grand Staircase called the Kaparowitz Plateau. As a result of Mr. Trump's action, major parts of the area are no longer a part of the National Monument. The Kaparowitz Plateau, located within the monument, contains one of the largest coal deposits in the United States, an Interior Department memo issue in the spring of 2017 said about 11.36 billion tons are technologically recoverable it projected from the start of the interior department review process agency officials directed staff to figure out how much coal oil and natural gas as well as grass for cattle grazing and timber had been put essentially off limits or made harder to access by the decision to designate the areas as national monuments. One memo, for example, asked interior staff to prepare a report on each national monument with a yellow highlighter on the documents emphasizing the need to examine in detail annual production of coal, oil, gas, and renewables, if any, on site, amount of energy transmission infrastructure on site, if any. It was followed up by a reminder to staff in June to also look at how the decision to create new national monuments in Utah might have hurt area mines, end quote. A desire to maximize profits for fossil fuel companies was clearly one of the primary incentives that the Trump administration had for shrinking national monuments. Inslee's commitment to reverse the Trump administration minimizing them was very important and ultimately would be acted upon by the Biden administration. As Joshua Partlow documents in the Washington Post article titled Biden Expands Bears Ears and Other National Monuments Reversing Trump Cuts, Biden Restored Full Protections to Bears Ears and Grand Staircase. This was one instance in which Biden and Inslee's actions and policies fortunately aligned rather closely, and Biden's actions reflected what Inslee likely also would have done if he was elected president. In order to effectively phase out fossil fuel production, as Roberts highlights, Inslee planned to, quote, establish a presidential commission on energy transition, including the secretaries of several federal agencies, that will be tasked with identifying and setting in motion the implementation of federal policies to phase out domestic fossil fuel production. The commission will have a special focus on a just transition for fossil fuel workers and communities, end quote. Roberts documents the explicit text of Inslee's plan, outlining some of the policies that Inslee would implement to enact this transition. That reads, quote, mandatory setbacks from private property in targeted locations, e.g. schools, hospitals, public parks, etc., outright bans on the most destructive practices like mountaintop removal coal mining, the buying out and decommissioning of fossil fuel assets, 
working with states to restrict fossil fuel corporations' use of eminent domain as they seek to build new infrastructure across private property, and strengthening consideration of the social climate costs associated with fossil fuel production across federal permitting agencies, end quote. In order to achieve the just transition that he set out to accomplish, Inslee proposed, according to Roberts, quote, shoring up the retirement, pension, and health care benefits of retired and retiring fossil fuel workers, providing income support and educational stipends to fossil fuel workers, creating a repower fund to invest in transitioning communities, creating a restoration fund to train workers and put them to work in ecological restoration, strengthening labor and bargaining laws, and conditioning all federal clean energy investments on high labor standards, end quote. This is such a vital and moving part of Inslee's proposed presidential agenda because it would have ensured that all fossil fuel workers were not forgotten in the transition away from fossil fuels. After all, as the Rio Paso YouTube video titled Jay Inslee on Rachel Maddow's show 3-4-2019 documents, Maddow highlights how, quote, I think a big part of the narrative that Americans have told each other and told ourselves about how Trump won in 2016 is that he won the coal states, that he won states that Democrat used to win, and he won them basically by going in and saying, I'm going to revive the coal industry. And so what happens in Pennsylvania and Ohio and other states like that, Western Virginia even, where the president made that point his point of, uh, made that his point of attack, end quote. In his response, Inslee discusses how, quote, the clean energy jobs today are growing twice as fast as the average in the U.S. economy. Number one fastest growing job, solar installer. Number two, wind turbine technician. So this is a perfect way to connect with those economic anxieties and win those states, which is critical to beating Donald Trump, end quote. Inslee worked diligently to ensure that his plan to combat climate change would not only have profoundly positive repercussions on the environment, but also on the economy. Inslee wanted his climate change plans to double as a way to alleviate the severe economic anxieties that are facing many American citizens today throughout the United States, including those that work on behalf of fossil fuel companies. One area in which Inslee's proposed presidential policies differ from those of Biden is in how Inslee promised to advocate for a nationwide ban on fracking. As Matt Egan recounts in the CNN business article titled, No, Joe Biden didn't just ban fracking. Biden pledged in his 2020 presidential campaign not to ban fracking and throughout his presidency kept that promise. Inslee's proactive approach to banning fracking not only represents a departure from Biden's policies, but also former Democratic United States President Barack Obama, who, as is documented in Valerie Richardson's article in the Associated Press titled, Obama Takes Credit for U.S. Oil and Gas Boom, That Was Me, People, proudly told an audience at Rice University's Baker Institute, quote, that whole suddenly America's like the biggest oil producer and the biggest gas, that was me, people, end quote. The prevalence of fracking in the United States, however, is nothing to be proud of. As Michael Clare details in the Mother Jones article titled How Obama Became the Oil President, 
quote, the use of hydrofracking to release all that shale oil has resulted in the diversion of vast quantities of water to energy production, in the process regularly posing a threat to local water supplies. In some drought-affected areas, oil drilling is now competing with farming for access to ever-diminishing supplies of fresh water. The growing use of railroads to carry shale oil, an especially volatile hydrocarbon substance, has also led to several lethal explosions triggered by accidents involving old and inadequately reinforced tank cars. Of course, the greatest fallout from the domestic oil boom will be a continuing deluge of carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere, further bolstering the greenhouse effect. Of course, the greatest environmental fallout from the domestic oil boom will be a continuing deluge of carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere. Inslee's proposal to institute a nationwide ban on fracking was incredibly bold and morally courageous, considering the very deleterious consequences that fracking has had on local water supplies. Inslee's proposed ban on fracking also would have been very much in line with his advocacy for clean water. According to Roberts, Inslee proposed a myriad of policies to hold polluters accountable, including implementing a fee on carbon use. As Roberts recounts, Inslee also proposed four ways in which, if elected president, he could have rejected all new fossil fuel infrastructure. One way, as Roberts notes, was, quote, a new climate test that would govern all federal investments to ensure that they do not work against Inslee's broader climate goals. There are lots of details about the different agencies that would apply it, but the result would be the rejection of new fossil fuel infrastructure and the revoking of many existing permits. Inslee specifically mentions the Dakota Access and Keystone XL pipelines, end quote. Had Inslee been elected president, this would have reflected yet another sharp contrast with Trump's poor environmental policies, since, according to Matthew Brown in the PBS NewsHour article titled, Trump Administration Approves Keystone Pipeline on U.S. Land, the Trump administration, quote, approved a right-of-way allowing the Keystone XL oil sands pipeline to be built across U.S. land, pushing the controversial $8 billion project closer to construction, though court challenges still loom, end quote. This decision was made by the Trump administration, despite, as Brown notes, quote, environmentalists and Native American tribes along the pipeline route say burning the tar sands oil will make climate change worse and that the pipeline could break and spill oil into waterways like Montana's Missouri River. They have filed numerous lawsuits, end quote. As the CNBC article titled, Keystone Pipeline Officially Cancelled After Biden Revokes Key Permit, documents, in revoking a key permit needed for a U.S. stretch of the Keystone XL pipeline in the United States, Biden essentially compelled TC Energy, the owner of the pipeline, to halt production on it. This is another instance in which Biden's actions as president mirror what Inslee probably would have done if he was elected. As Roberts explains, the second way in which Inslee proposed that he would hold polluters accountable was, quote, to restore and respect the ability of local and tribal communities to control their own land and make their own infrastructure decisions. It's worth calling out this bit. 
the depredations upon tribal land, water, and people by proponents of oil pipelines like the Dakota Access Pipeline demand a new direction in federal policy that recognizes the heritage and the human rights of indigenous communities. Indeed, Inslee would reverse Trump's efforts to preempt states and local communities and also work to overturn the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's ability to force states to accept natural gas pipelines. The third is stopping fossil fuel exports by restoring the crude oil export ban, working to make it permanent and working to place similar restrictions on the export of other fossil fuels like coal and liquefied natural gas. And fourth, is using the federal government's powers to accelerate the shift away from oil, including through procurement, the government is an enormous consumer, and other such fun stuff, as requiring all federal rest stops to have high-voltage vehicle charging stations. Also, a new requirement that every commercial fueling station must also provide electric vehicle charging services." End quote. Similarly, as Roberts showcases, quote, Inslee proposes a wide variety of ways for the federal government to increase oversight over climate pollution and risk. Everything from new securities and exchange commission commissioners, rules and standards, to new banking lending transparency requirements, end quote. All of these ideas and initiatives would have been very important steps that Inslee could have taken if elected president to better hold polluters accountable. As Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization highlights, Inslee pledged that if he was elected president in 2020, he would rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. As Oliver Millman notes in the Guardian article titled, Biden returns U.S. to Paris Climate Accord hours after becoming president, after Trump withdrew the United States from the Paris Climate Agreement, an international effort to try to defuse the volatile crisis that climate change has wrought, Biden ultimately had the United States re-enter the Paris Climate Agreement. This is another instance in which Biden's actions as president reflect what Inslee likely would have done as president as well. However, as is documented in the CNN YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee blasts Joe Biden on climate plan, our house is on fire. In one of the 2020 Democratic primary debates, Biden received applause for announcing that he would have the United States re-enter the Paris Climate Agreement. And subsequently, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker aptly analyzed how, quote, nobody should get applause for rejoining the Paris Climate Accords. That is kindergarten. We have to go far advance and make sure our trade deals, everything from the billions of dollars we spend to foreign aid, everything must be sublimated to the challenge and crisis that is existential, which is dealing with the climate threat. And yes, the majority of this problem is outside the United States. But the only way we're going to deal with this is if the United States leads, end quote. While it certainly is important that Biden rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement, that is hardly the only way in which the United States can effectively lead an international effort to combat climate change. Inslee, as Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization documents, very clearly understood the reality that Booker was pinpointing. Inslee documents in this plan the imperative to pursue initiatives involving 
quote, leading by example and quickly putting forward an amended NDC under the agreement based on the policies and measures already set forth in Governor Inslee's climate mission to commit America to a 50% reduction in climate pollution by 2030. The deadline for submission of the next round of targets under the Paris Agreement is 2020. Many other countries are already stepping up, but the current U.S. failure to even consider doing so is damaging this process and holding back the effectiveness of the agreement. Launching high-level bilateral negotiations and technical dialogues with major economy countries to encourage them to join the United States in submitting more ambitious targets for 2030 in line with science as soon as possible. The EU is on track to exceed its current 2030 target, a 40% reduction in climate pollution, with several of its nations pressing for more ambitious action, and China may be its timetable for reaching peak emissions by 2030 as well. U.S. support for raising the level of ambition would be instrumental in setting the global community on a path to meet targets identified by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, end quote. Furthermore, Inslee's global plans to combat climate change also involved, as is documented in Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization, quote, reconstituting the Major Economies Forum, MEF, with a primary focus on establishing sectoral goals, e.g., clean power, clean transportation, clean industry, efficiency, electrification, land sector emissions, to quantify targets by type of climate pollution, e.g. CO2, methane, HFCs, and to reduce fossil fuel production and infrastructure. The MEF brings together the top 20 global greenhouse gas emitters, which are responsible for more than 70% of climate pollution, in part to deepen discussion of some of the critical elements of the Paris Agreement, end quote. Inslee also elaborated on his proposed initiatives in Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization by advocating for, quote, joining the Powering Past Coal Alliance, PPCA, a global coalition of national and subnational governments, businesses, and organizations committed to phasing out coal power plant pollution by 2030. Under Governor Inslee's leadership, Washington became the first U.S. state to join the PPCA when it was announced at the 23rd Conference of the Parties, COP, of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, UNFCCC, in Germany in 2017. The PPCA platform is consistent with the 2030 coal power phase-out that Governor Inslee has proposed for the United States as part of his 100% Clean Energy for America plan. Improving access of underrepresented stakeholders to the UNFCCC process, including sovereign indigenous communities and youth, the United States will request that the UN appoint special envoys for indigenous communities and climate change and for intergenerational equity and youth voices on climate change, end quote. Booker was right that rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement really was kindergarten. 
Fortunately, Inslee also had a slew of other proposed policies that would ensure that the United States would proactively lead the world in reducing carbon dioxide emissions and combating climate change. As a result of the considerable reductions in greenhouse gas emissions that are caused by avoiding deforestation and enhancing reforestation efforts, as is documented in Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization, Inslee pledged himself to, quote, prioritizing low deforestation commodity sourcing in federal procurement and in U.S. trade policy. The federal government is a major purchaser of beef, soy, palm oil, wood products, and other forest risk commodities that drive deforestation. The Inslee administration will update federal procurement policies to preferentially source these commodities from nations and regions that have committed to reducing deforestation. Fully funding Lacey Act implementation and working with international partners to assist with enforcement of illegal logging activities and trade in endangered timber species, as well as stepping up efforts to provide more transparency on logging and other land use activities in certain jurisdictions. Using existing trade relationships to promote deforestation-free supply chains and certified commodities, e.g. Sustainable Palm Oil, Forest Stewardship Council, Fair Trade, in partner countries. Leveraging trade promotion policies and programs to attract private sector investments to areas of a partner country's forest plan that need external investment. This is a win-win. American consumers get more sustainably produced goods, and partner countries get private sector investment in improved forest supply chains. End quote. These policies are particularly inspiring in the wake of Inslee's emphasis on accountability. Inslee, as president, would not only hold fossil fuel companies responsible for their role in exacerbating climate change, but would also hold the United States federal government accountable as well. As Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization highlights, quote, climate change is contributing to an expanding refugee crisis both directly with 24 million people displaced on average each year around the world since 2008 due to extreme weather events and indirectly as climate change impacts force people to migrate in search of food, water, shelter, or to avoid conflict. Addressing the worldwide expansion of refugees, including increasing numbers displaced by climate change, is an essential part of restoring America's global leadership and meeting the humanitarian and security challenges in the 21st century. Governor Inslee's America's Promise Immigration Policy Plan provides a humane and thoughtful approach to U.S. refugee policy, including raising the ceiling for annual refugee admissions to the United States to allow for the acceptance of historic numbers of refugees, meeting and eventually exceeding the target of 110,000 refugees that was set during the final year of the Obama administration. This is a minimum standard for the United States to reclaim its historic leadership role in resettling refugees. These damaging caps serve only to undermine our international leadership and rob our country of contributions from those eager to participate in our economy and society. Governor Inslee will right this unprecedented wrong. End quote. This was another very appropriate step 
taken by Inslee that would have represented a departure from Trump's punitive immigration policies. As Julie Hirschfeld Davis and Michael D. Scheer explain in their book, Border Wars, Inside Trump's Assault on Immigration, Trump's executive order that colloquially became known as the Muslim ban called for the suspension of all refugees entering the United States for 120 days, which, quote, would reduce by more than half the total number of refugees that could be admitted in 2017 and permanently block Syrian refugees, end quote. As Davis and Scheer detail, retired Navy Rear Admiral Gary Hall became Trump's senior director at the National Security Council in charge of refugees as a favor to Trump's chief strategist, Stephen K. Bannon. Davis and Scheer speculate about if, quote, Bannon pitched Hall for his post strategically, knowing that he would be little more than a figurehead without the wherewithal to speak up for refugees. Or had he merely lucked into the situation? Whether by design or otherwise, Hall was outgunned when it came to making a case for refugees, and he knew it. End quote. In my Politics with Paxton podcast episode titled The Destruction of the Administrative State, I speculated about the peculiar nature in which many policymakers in Trump's administration seemed intent on deconstructing the very institutions that they have been chosen to lead, particularly due to the strategies of Bannon and fellow Trump advisor Stephen Miller. Hall being potentially strategically positioned as Trump's senior director at the National Security Council in charge of refugees by Bannon in order to sabotage any genuine efforts to encourage more refugees to find sanctuary in the United States certainly lends credence to this idea. Davis and Scheer also confirm what I suspected in my Destruction of the Ministry of State podcast about how Miller may have continued on Bannon's Destruction of the Ministry of State ideology after Bannon left Trump's White House. According to Davis and Scheer, quote, Miller also shared Bannon's belief that to bring about real, lasting changes in immigration policy, he would have to burrow deep inside the government bureaucracy, Bannon called it the administrative state, to dismantle existing policies plank by arcane plank, end quote. On Trump's behalf, Miller announced that, quote, the president believes refugees cost too much, end quote, and asked the federal government's foremost experts on refugees to bring him economic data that justified rejecting refugees, even telling career official Larry Barlett to stop examining the positive economic contributions from refugees. At a time when increasingly more refugees will need to seek refuge in the United States from disasters associated with climate change, Trump and his administration sought to severely limit and restrict the number of refugees that could enter the United States. Inslee, unlike Trump, if elected president, would not have placed a restrictive price on the continued survival of human lives. Another point of notable contrast between Inslee and some recent presidential administrations in Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization is made when Inslee aptly describes how, quote, today, 
the U.S. government is far too closely aligned with international actors who are not only slowing the pace of action on confronting climate change, but are also steadily undermining the framework for international collaboration on which the fight against climate change depends. The United States must disentangle its foreign policy goals from those of the axis of oil countries, such as Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Iran, in their climate policy and in their anti-democratic practices. America must also take an aggressive stance in favor of sustainable forestry practices around the globe. In doing so, the United States can return to its role as the world's greatest advocate for international cooperation and hold allies and adversaries alike to a high standard of action. To accomplish this, Governor Inslee's plan includes utilizing anti-corruption authority in U.S. law to impose consequences for undermining international cooperation, including on climate and much more. Climate organizing is increasingly a target of right-wing nationalist movements throughout the world, as seen by the recent targeting of a Swedish climate change activist by Germany's AFD party. And nations deeply invested in exploiting fossil fuel reserves are openly flouting consensus on climate change or targeting climate activists domestically. The United States will not only cease to cooperate with these countries to impede efforts to confront global climate change, as the Trump administration has done, but will utilize the Global Magnitsky Act to hold to account individuals and entities responsible for human rights violations and corrupt activities that contribute to targeting civil society advocates, including climate activists, holding governments and corporate actors accountable for violating international best practice in forest governance and or reneging on commitments to protect globally important forest resources vital to biodiversity, combating climate change, and protecting indigenous peoples and local communities. And ensuring the United States is a leader in transparency and traceability standards for forest products. This includes investing in traceability technologies and NGO platforms that make these data available. Progressing toward a safe climate will be considered a relevant U.S. national interest for the purposes of Presidential Proclamation 7750, allowing public officials involved in corrupt activities to be denied entry to the United States. Establishing a national strategy to encourage nations with economies dependent upon fossil fuel exports to diversify their economies and build strong civil society. The Inslee administration will institute a multilateral dialogue among major fossil fuel producers to plan for a just transition, economic diversification, stranded assets, and shift away from fossil economies. And where necessary, utilize preferential treatment for countries engaging in strong climate action to encourage increased compliance with internal targets for economic diversification, human rights improvements, and improved opportunities for women and minorities." End quote. What makes these policies of Inslee's so impactful and revolutionary is that, as I explored in my Politics of Paxton podcast episode titled Count Your Patriots, the United States' over-reliance on Saudi Arabia for oil has resulted in the Obama, Trump, and Biden administrations 
all arming Saudi Arabia with weapons it can use to continue starving Yemen's civilian population. The United States' long-standing reliance on Saudi Arabia for oil was examined in Felicia Gray's Domes article titled How Oil Twists the Hegemon's Arm, the case for the United States and Saudi Arabia and their ambivalent partnership which highlights how Saudi Arabia's willingness and ability to act independently of the perceived hegemonic power of the U.S. demonstrated in its implementation of policies designed to affect oil prices in the oil crises of 1973, 1979, and 2008 is evidence that Saudi Arabia's ample supply of oil is enough to counterbalance a hegemon and violate the anticipated norms of hegemonic stability theory. Inslee recognizing how the United States needed to disentangle its foreign policy objectives from those of Saudi Arabia as well as Russia and Iran was a very monumental foreign policy goal that sets Inslee's what-if presidency in direct contrast with those of Obama, Trump, and Biden. If Inslee had been elected president, the United States would no longer be at the mercy of Saudi Arabia's despotic regime. In Jay Inslee's plan for global climate mobilization, Inslee also expressed his desire to promote a sustainable future for communities impacted by the ravages of climate change, if elected president. Quote, directing U.S. aid, the State Department, and other development and relief agencies to work across programs and prioritize support for locally driven efforts to stabilize local economies and provide for sustainable livelihoods in the face of climate disruption, increase economic opportunity and wealth creation, and reduce the need for families to migrate. These efforts will target ongoing development as well as strategies for disaster response and recovery and address the root causes of large-scale family migration by providing livelihoods that can be supported in the face of climate change, addressing increasing water scarcity and resilience to disaster, end quote. Inslee's promise to address water scarcity is particularly relevant at a time such as this. For instance, as Nina Raffio highlights in the USC News article titled The Water Wars of the Future Are Here Today, major reservoirs along the Colorado River, which supplies nearly 40 million people with access to water, are drying up. Quote, when they made their original estimates of the river's annual yield, states were aware that there probably wasn't going to be that amount of water available in the years to come, said Robin Craig, professor of law at the UCS Gold School of Law. Figures that were never true over historical time are increasingly not true now as we deal with the effects of climate change. End quote. Climate change, as Raffio identifies, has certainly exacerbated the Colorado River's reservoirs drying up, and the various states that the Colorado River provides water for are now in contest with each other to try to acquire the most generous water rights to the Colorado River. Raffio highlights how a very similar situation is occurring with the Nile River. Inslee's promise to address water scarcity hopefully will have been able to mitigate the ongoing disagreements regarding various communities' access to depleting water sources. Ultimately, there are so many brilliant and innovative policies that Inslee advocated for in his 2020 presidential campaign, even when considering all of the phenomenal policies of Inslee's that I gave voice to in this podcast, there are still so many more that I did not even mention. In my opinion, 
Inslee truly had the most comprehensive and action-oriented plan of any of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates to combat climate change and may very well have been the person most equipped to address climate change out of anyone who has ever run for president in the history of the United States. Inslee's 2020 Democratic presidential campaign was really inspiring and provides an interesting contrast to how Inslee's 2020 presidential rival, Biden, has governed the nation upon being elected president. As Oliver Millman, Nina Lakani, and Manvi Singh document in their article in The Guardian titled, Biden Approves Controversial Willow Oil Drilling Project in Alaska, quote, the Biden administration has approved a controversial $8 billion, 6 billion pounds, drilling project on Alaska's North Slope, which has drawn fierce opposition from environmentalists and some Alaska Native communities who say it will speed up the climate breakdown and undermine food security. The ConocoPhillips Willow Project will be one of the largest of its kind on U.S. soil, involving drilling for oil and gas at three sites for multiple decades on the 23-mile-acre National Petroleum Reserve, which is owned by the federal government and is the largest tract of undisturbed public land in the U.S. It will produce an estimated 576 million barrels of oil over 30 years, with a peak of 180,000 barrels of crude a day. This extraction, which ConocoPhillips has said may, ironically, involve refreezing the rapidly thawing Arctic permafrost to stabilize drilling equipment, would create one of the largest carbon bombs on U.S. soil, potentially producing more than twice as many emissions than all renewable energy projects on public lands by 2030 would cut combined. End quote. As Millman describes in his other article in The Guardian titled, Biden's approval of Willow Project shows inconsistency of U.S.'s first climate president, the Willow Project alone will add the carbon dioxide emissions of the entire country of Belgium into the atmosphere, a situation so severe that former Democratic Vice President Al Gore has come out in opposition against the Willow Project. Inslee seemed to have the foresight to predict that Biden, if elected president in 2020, might approve something like the Willow Project. As is documented in the CNN YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee Blasts Joe Biden on Climate Plan, Our House is on Fire, in one of the 2020 Democratic presidential debates, Inslee emphasized the contrast between his plan to address climate change and that of Biden's. Quote, I know the firsthand terrific impact of climate change on Americans across the country already. The family that I saw with their aluminum home, now just a pile of molten aluminum. They lost everything in the Paradise Fires. The nonprofit in Davenport, Iowa, that was washed away in the floods. We have to act now. Look, climate change is not a singular issue. It is all the issues that we Democrats care about. It is health. It is national security. It is our economy. And we know this. Middle ground solutions, like the vice president has proposed, or sort of middling average size things, are not going to save us. Too little, too late, is too dangerous. And we have to have a bold plan. And mine has been called the gold standard, end quote. 
In this same CNN YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee blasts Joe Biden on climate plan our house is on fire, Inslee confronts Biden about the lackluster nature of his plan to combat climate change, telling Biden, quote, these deadlines are set by science. Mr. Vice President, your argument with is not with me, it's with science. And unfortunately, your plan is just too late. The science tells us we have to get off coal in 10 years. Your plan does not do that. We have to get off fossil fuels in our electrical grid in 15. Your plan simply does not do that. I've heard you say that we need a realistic plan. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. I believe that survival is realistic. And that's the kind of plan we need. And that's the kind I have. End quote. Biden responded to Inslee's remarks by saying, quote, My plan calls for 500,000 charging stations around the country. So by 2030, we're all electric vehicles. My plan calls for being making sure that we have $400 billion invested in technologies, learn how to contain what we're doing, creating 10 million new jobs. We will double offshore wind. We will end any subsidies for coal or any other fossil fuel. But we have to also engage the world while we're doing it. We have to walk and chew gum at the same time, end quote. When CNN host Dana Bash pressed Biden on these comments by asking, quote, would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? End quote. Biden answered this question by saying, quote, no, it would be, we would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel, end quote. Seizing on Biden's response, Inslee immediately aptly declared, quote, We cannot work it out. We cannot work this out. The time is up. Our house is on fire. We have to stop using coal in 10 years, and we need a president to do it or it won't get done. Get off coal. Save this country and the planet. That's what I'm for, end quote. In this memorable moment from the 2020 Democratic presidential debates, Inslee seemingly recognized that Biden's plan to, quote, work it out, end quote, could involve any number of lackluster measures, such as even approving the likes of the Willow Project. Inslee was right. We cannot work out climate polluters slowly and tediously. If we continue down that route, we will continue to be burdened with incredibly regressive situations such as the Willow Project. In the CNN YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee Blast Joe Biden on Climate Plan or House is on Fire, 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Kamala Harris immediately responded to Inslee and Biden's exchange by saying, quote, I have to agree with Governor Inslee, end quote. However, despite Harris's apparent support for Inslee's comments, Upon becoming Biden's vice president, her actions have not reflected this. Harris seemingly condoned Biden's decision to approve the Willow Project, earning her some pushback from comedian Stephen Colbert. As is documented in The Late Show with Stephen Colbert's YouTube video titled, I Am in the Executive Branch, VP Harris responds to former VP Pence's legislative branch claim. Colbert said, in regards to the Biden administration's purported environmental standing, quote, how do you square that with the president having said that there would be no new drilling licenses issued on public land and then approving the, the Willow Oil Project in Alaska? People are saying that's breaking a campaign promise. What's the calculus there? End quote. In response, Harris said, 
quote, well, I, I understand the concerns that, that have been made, but here's the thing. When you look at what our administration has done, it's historic in terms of an investment in a clean energy economy. We are putting America back on the map globally, recognizing that we must live up to our role in terms of our ability to invest in the future, create jobs, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And again, traveling the world, they are watching what we are doing as an example and as a challenge to nations around the world in what can be done to address this issue. I would say that we have been quite bold in terms of the advances that we are making thus far, but we have more to do. But look at, for example, what we're doing around electric vehicles. We have just passed legislation that means that people will get rebates, not only if you buy a new electric vehicle, but, but more importantly, rebates on used electric vehicles. We are investing in the manufacturing of electric buses, electric school buses, end quote. This all very well may be true. After all, in this very podcast, I have given the Biden administration credit where credit is due in terms of the advances that it has made in environmental initiatives. The Biden administration has worked to repeal the benefit cost rule. Biden restored full protections to the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase National Monuments. Biden compelled TC Energy to halt production on the Keystone XL pipeline. Biden re-entered the United States into the Paris Climate Agreement. Biden has done a considerable amount to promote environmental justice and combat climate change. However, Biden's environmental presidential legacy is more complicated than simply being entirely net positive or entirely net negative. Biden made a mistake in improving the Willow Project, setting the United States backwards in its efforts to limit greenhouse gas emissions. While Harris was more than willing to discuss the positive environmental contributions that the Biden administration has made, not once in her response did she even mention the Willow Project. While we can have a conversation about the positive impacts that the Biden administration has had on the environment, of which there are several, we should also acknowledge the ways in which the Biden administration has failed the environment and how it can do better and improve in the future. Colbert, seemingly recognizing that Harris had not really addressed the Willow Project at all in her response, asked her, quote, Was there any discussion in the White House about what the blowback would be for approving the Willow Oil Project? Because people have gotten quite upset about it. I think there's some protesters outside right now, end quote. In a rather absurdly amorphous response, Harris replied, quote, well, I think that the the concerns are based on what we should all be concerned about, but the, the solutions have to be and include what we are doing in terms of going forward in terms of investments, end quote. Granted, it should be noted that Trump arguably deserves more blame for the Willow Project than Biden. After all, as Alex DeMarvin, a reporter with the Anchorage Daily News, explains in the ABC News YouTube video titled Willow Oil Project, Biden administration sued by conservation groups over approval. Biden inherited the Willow Project from the Trump administration, which had initially approved it before it was temporarily shut down by conservationists. DeMarbin elaborated in this video on how Biden managed to successfully shrink ConocoPhillips drilling sites for the Willow Project from five down to three, something that Trump and his administration certainly were not willing to do, thereby indicating that a Willow Project under Trump would have been even more devastating to the environment than the Willow Project under Biden will be. However, had Inslee been elected president, I believe that he would have firmly opposed the Willow Project and would not have allowed it to be developed in any capacity. After all, if the Willow Project is Biden's idea of working out 
fossil fuels, then Inslee is right. That it simply will be too little, too late. According to Christopher Hellman, in his Forbes article titled Energy Crisis 2021, How Bad Is It and How Long Will It Last?, which was published on October 19th, 2021, quote, Crude oil is up 65% this year to $83 per barrel. Gasoline above $3 per gallon in most of the country it is more costly than any time since 2014, with inventories at the lowest level in five years. Meanwhile, natural gas which provides more than 30% of all U.S. electricity and a lot of wintertime heating, has more than doubled this year to $5 per million BTU. Even coal is exploding, with China and India mining as fast as possible. The price of U.S. coal is up 400% this year to $270 per ton, end quote. This energy crisis which, according to Hellman, started after the countries of the world tried to revive their economies after shutting them down during the beginning stages of the COVID-19 global pandemic, seems to be one of the primary reasons why Biden's policies to address climate change have been so much more lackluster than those of Inslee's likely would have been. After all, as Jim Tankersley and Lisa Friedman explain in their article in the Washington Post titled, Even as Biden pushes clean energy, he seeks more oil production in the midst of the 2021 energy crisis. Quote, with gasoline prices rising above $3.30 a gallon nationwide, Mr. Biden over the weekend urged major energy producing countries with spare capacity to boost production, part of a larger effort to pressure OPEC countries and Russia to increase the supply of oil, end quote. Unfortunately, the longer the United States federal government waits to address climate change, the more deadly the situation will continue to become. The impacts of climate change are already being felt around the world, and how leaders choose to address it may very well determine the fate of the world and humanity. As Rebecca Lindsay recounts in the NOAA article titled Climate Change, Global Sea Level, the warming of the Earth involved in climate change is causing the sea levels to rise due to two primary reasons. Quote, first, glaciers and ice sheets worldwide are melting and adding water to the ocean. Second, the volume of the water is expanding as the water warms. End quote. Due to rising sea levels, as Stephanie Stacy explains in the Business Insider article titled, A Tiny Pacific Island Nation Threatened by Rising Sea Levels, plans to create a digital copy of itself in the metaverse. The entire nation of Tuvalu, is expected to be submerged underwater within the next century. In response, according to Stacy, Tuvalu intends to become the very first nation to create a complete digital replica of itself in the metaverse. Tuvalu's decision to move into the metaverse reflects an escalation of Tuvalu's ongoing efforts to spur international action to combat climate change. Climate change threatens Tuvalu's existence. And it is remarkably tragic that the people of Tuvalu even have to consider how to preserve their country's memory and continued existence once it is submerged 
beneath the sea. Other actors on the world stage share this threat and common interest in international action. For example, as Jean Kazawan notes in the travel article titled, It's predicted that Florida will soon be underwater. Here are the stats. Floridian coastal cities are predicted to be uninhabitable long before the end of the century. Florida is already experiencing the negative effects of climate change, such as increased rainfall and damage. During Hurricane Ian, as Craig Pittman describes in the New York Times article titled Hurricane Ian Proved Why Ron DeSantis' Version of Climate Resilience is a Disaster, the rate of rainfall increased by 10% in intensity and damaged physical measures in place. However, as Kazawan notes, Florida's state government is taking little action despite the rising threat. As Pittman recounts, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill preventing local governments from inciting utility companies to switch to cleaner energy sources. Florida's lack of action stands in contrast to Tuvalu's demands for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty. As Olivia Roseanne details in the EcoWatch article titled, Sinking Nation Tuvalu Calls for Treaty Ending Fossil Fuel Use at COP27, quote, Tuvalu Prime Minister Kauzea Natano said as he addressed world leaders at COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, Tuvalu has joined Vanuatu and other nations in calling for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty to steer our development model to pursue renewables in a just transition away from fossil fuels, end quote. In the midst of climate change's ever-growing threat, it would be wise for international leaders to follow the example of Tuvalu and adopt a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty that would work in tandem with the Paris Climate Agreement instead of following the misguided example of DeSantis. Tuvalu is just one international actor facing disproportionate threats of climate change. As Alice Hill and Leonardo Martinez Diaz detail in their Council on Foreign Relations article titled Adapter Perish, Preparing for the Inescapable Effects of Climate Change, the Department of Defense recently made discoveries that the Kwajalein Atoll will experience persistent flooding by 2055. This underscores the fact that climate change is impacting regions all over the world, from Tuvalu to the Kwajalein Atoll, highlighting the need for urgent international responses. Hill and Martinez explain the relevance of the Kwajalein Atoll to the United States, highlighting how the Kwajalein Atoll is, quote, a group of islands that is home to the U.S. Air Force's space fence, a radar system that can track objects as small as a baseball through outer space to avert collisions with spacecraft, end quote. The fact that climate change has seemingly been exacerbating the flooding in the Kwajalein Atoll, endangering something as important as the space fence, represents a direct threat to the United States' national security interests. For the United States to treat climate change as anything other than such an extreme threat would represent an abdication of its duty to the American people as well as its own national security interests. Climate change could quite literally bring about the end of humanity if it is ignored or left unaddressed. While the fires 
floods, and rising sea levels certainly are some of the most widely known ways in which climate change threatens our continued existence, there are numerous lesser known ones as well. One such threat that climate change poses is potentially reawakening ancient diseases and unleashing them back upon the world, such as the bubonic plague. As Simon Chandler explains in the New York Post article titled, Climate Change Could Reawaken the Black Death, Professor Peter Frankopan predicted at the Chetelum Literary Festival that if climate change continues unabated, quote, it's not about the Maldives being harder to visit on holiday or migration of people. It's about what happens when permafrost unfreezes and the release of biological agents that have been buried for millennia. End quote. As Chandler elaborates, quote, chief among such diseases is the plague, which Frankopan states was spread in the Middle Ages largely due to a rise in global temperatures. For example, in the 1340s, a 1.5 degree movement of heating of the Earth's atmosphere, probably because of solar flares or volcanic activity, changes the cycle of Yersinia pestis bacterium, he explained. That one and one half degree difference allowed a small microbe to develop into the Black Death. According to Frankopan, such a possibility should be taken more seriously than a rise in sea levels or drought, not least because the Black Death wiped out between 75 million and 200 million people in Europe in the 14th century. End quote. As the National Library of Medicine article titled History of the Plague, an Ancient Pandemic for the Age of COVID-19, illustrates, the Black Death killed more than one-third of the population of Europe. Having the bubonic plague unleashed back upon humanity and potentially risking another Black Death is a serious, frightening, and legitimate threat that climate change poses. An additional ever-present threat posed by climate change is that which it poses to the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, also known as AMOC. As a video published by Vice News' Instagram page on July 26, 2023 illustrates, AMOC, quote, acts as a huge conveyor belt in the ocean, circulating warm water from the equator to the poles and cold water back the other way. Ultimately, it regulates temperatures across the world, providing a more stable climate for everyone, end quote. However, as Sarah Kaplan indicates in the Washington Post article titled, Scientists Detect Sign That a Crucial Ocean Current is Near Collapse, which was published on July 25, 2023, quote, Under Earth's current climate, this aquatic conveyor belt transports warm, salty water from the tropics to the North Atlantic and then sends colder water back south along the ocean floor. But as rising global temperatures melt Arctic ice, the resulting influx of cold fresh water has thrown a wrench in the system and could shut it down entirely. The study published Tuesday in the journal Nature Communications suggests that continued warming will push the AMOC over its tipping point around the middle of this century. The shift would be as abrupt and irreversible as turning off a light switch, and it could lead to dramatic changes in weather on either side of the Atlantic. This is a really worrying result, said Peter Ditlefsen, a climate physicist at the University of Copenhagen and lead author of the new study. This is really showing we need a hard foot on the break of greenhouse gas emissions. End quote. 
Vice News' July 26, 2023 Instagram video posits that this system of ocean currents may even be at risk of collapsing as early as 2025, saying, quote, This could mean devastation on people and ecosystems globally, end quote, that could make Western Europe's climate more akin to that of Alaska. Had Inslee been elected president, I believe that the American people would be able to rest easier knowing that they had a president who was devoted to protecting them from the deadly ramifications of climate change. As is documented in the Bloomberg Quick Take YouTube video titled 2020 Candidate Jay Inslee Announces $9 Trillion Climate Change Plan, Inslee describes how, quote, While I've been on this run for the presidency, I have seen Americans who have been damaged and injured and traumatized by the abject failure of this White House and this federal government to protect them from the scourge of the climate crisis. I've looked into the eyes of Marsha Moss, a woman in Seminole Springs, California, in a community of about a hundred mobile homes that was leveled because of the Wolsey fire. And we know our fires are going to double in the next decades because of carbon pollution. And when you look into her eyes and you realize that she has no one protecting her in Washington, D.C., it just makes your blood boil. Yesterday, I was in Davenport, Iowa. I met a woman named Regina Haddock. Regina is a courageous leader in her community. She started a program called Dress for Success that helps women who've kind of been down on their luck. A lot of single mothers get clothing so that when they go out for a job interview, they can feel proud of themselves. And a flood, this titanic flood that has swept the Midwest, has now ruined this nonprofit. And when you look at Regina, who's been such a leader in her community, and understand that her dreams have now been on, on hold and not have help from Washington, D.C., that makes my blood boil. It is time for the people of Fire and Flood to have a president who will stand up and protect them from the ravages of climate change and this climate crisis. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure Americans have that and a plan to get that job done. End quote. One of the primary reasons why the United States federal government has not been there for people impacted by the ravages of climate change is because the fossil fuel industry has managed to successfully influence the government for generations. As a matter of fact, the fossil fuel industry has been so influential in American politics that multiple United States presidents have actually owned oil companies. As the Intercept article titled George H.W. Bush, 1924-2018, to American war criminal, highlights journalist Arun Gupta points out that before becoming the president of the United States, George H.W. Bush founded an oil company called the Zapata Corporation. Gupta explains how the Zapata Corporation and Bush were actually used by the CIA to train Cuban exiles against Cuba's leader, Fidel Castro. Bush's son, George W. Bush, not only was also elected as another United States president, but also started an oil company of his own. As George Gardner Jr. and Lois Romano 
recount in the Washington Post article titled, Bush Name Helps Fuel Oil Dealings. The younger Bush founded an oil company called Orbusto Energy Inc. Bush's experience in the oil industry clearly seemed to have an impact on how he went on to govern the country as president. As Robert Rapier documents in the Forbes article titled, The Enormous Energy Legacy of President George W. Bush, quote, even Bush's vice president, Dick Cheney, was an ex-oil man, having served as the CEO of oilfield services company Halliburton. Within two weeks of taking office, Bush named Cheney as the chairman of the National Energy Policy Development Group, NEPDG, end quote. As David Sandelo indicates in the Brookings article titled, President Bush and Oil Addiction, quote, President George W. Bush has pushed relentlessly for new domestic oil drilling. He's resisted tough measures to improve automotive fuel efficiency, end quote. The Frontline PBS official YouTube video titled The Power of Big Oil Part 2, Doubt, Full Documentary, Frontline, even examines how Bush, against the advice of his EPA administrator, Christine Todd Whitman, opposed a cap on carbon that would have limited the amount of carbon dioxide emissions. In this video, Whitman even expresses her belief that the close relationship between fossil fuel companies and the United States federal government played a role in Bush opposing the cap on carbon, saying, quote, I was monumentally disappointed. The administration was extremely close to the energy industry. The vice president was industry through and through, end quote. The Frontline PBS official YouTube video titled The Power of Big Oil Part 2 Doubtful Documentary Frontline also highlights how the CEO of ExxonMobil at the time, Lee Raymond, was a personal friend of Cheney's. And Bush even used his influence as president to egregiously and irresponsibly cast doubt on whether human actions played a role in climate change. This documentary even shockingly and disturbingly reveals how, after a 2001 Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, report concluded that there was strong evidence linking human activity to climate change. An ExxonMobil lobbyist faxed the Bush administration demanding that those scientists who had worked on this report be removed, a demand that was subsequently followed up by all of the individuals named by the ExxonMobil lobbyist either being replaced or retiring within the subsequent two years. This is reflective of the very problematic stranglehold that fossil fuel companies have long held over the United States federal government. Trump's first Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, received much of his international experience as the CEO of ExxonMobil, one of the most prominent oil companies. As the Frontline PBS official YouTube video titled The Power of Big Oil Part 2 Doubtful Documentary Frontline details towards the beginning of Tillerson's tenure as the CEO of ExxonMobil, he raised uncertainty about the causes of climate change and funded organizations that promoted false beliefs that global warming was not caused by human actions. However, it should be noted that Tillerson was not the most anti-science CEO that Exxon ever had. The Frontline PBS official YouTube video titled The Power of Big Oil Part 2 Doubtful Documentary Frontline highlights how corporate responsibility specialist Bennett Freeman, in discussing a speech that Tillerson delivered in 2009 on climate change, said, quote, 
It was, I think, the first time that, at least at the CEO level, it started, just started, to take a policy position that was potentially constructive. It's important to acknowledge that this was an initial step. But it's equally important, even more important, in my opinion, to emphasize that it was a step that was little and late, end quote. Similarly, in this same documentary, frontline consultant Russell Gold recounted how, quote, I covered ExxonMobil at the Wall Street Journal at that time, and Rex Tillerson was a breath of fresh air. He starts talking about the importance of pursuing a lower carbon path. But at the end of the day, I can't really point to anything substantive that changed, end quote. While Tillerson may have made some historic acknowledgments about the realities of climate change, he also did not really take any substantive action as CEO of ExxonMobil to address them. Yet, Tillerson was apparently rewarded for his time as the CEO of ExxonMobil, with a Secretary of State position in Trump's administration. Had Inslee been elected president, I believe that he would finally have been able to break the stranglehold that fossil fuel companies have long had over the United States federal government and ensure that the people of fire and flood would finally have a president who would protect them from the ravages of climate change. I really hope that future aspiring presidential candidates, perhaps even the current occupants of the White House, will take after Inslee's ideas and proposed initiatives to combat climate change and adopt them. This is what I truly hope will be Inslee's long-lasting legacy, pushing other potential presidents to adopt his comprehensive plans to address climate change. In the MSNBC YouTube video titled, Governor Jay Inslee Announces Exit from Democratic Primary Race, Rachel Maddow, MSNBC, right after Inslee announced that he was withdrawing from the 2020 Democratic presidential election, Maddow asked him, in regards to Inslee's campaign's hyper-focus on climate change, Quote, by being so aggressive on that one point, even with you getting out of the race now, do you feel like, to a certain extent, you did put this more on the agenda? You did cause other candidates, who may end up carrying the ball, to be more aggressive on this issue? End quote. Inslee responded with, quote, You bet. I don't think there's any question about that. That we've had real success in the effort. First, We've actually proposed a real plan, a robust plan, that will get us off fossil fuels, end quote. Maddow quickly interjected to clarify, quote, A multi-part plan. Lots of people did one climate plan. You did the first part of your climate plan, then the second part, then the third part, then the fourth part. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's more than a roadmap. It's an atlas, end quote. Inslee responded by really insightfully and significantly saying, Quote, it's a governing document, not a campaign slogan, and it's now open source. So whoever our nominee is can use can use that. I think we've started kind of an arms race of candidates to see who can raise their ambition level, and that's helped them become more ambitious. I think that we've now advanced the, the dialogue to have debates. Look, I hope that the party's going to have a debate. They're going to vote on that tomorrow. But your network and others are going to have forums. So we clearly have raised the profile on this. But we've done something else, I think. We've give people hope. So the grassroots has responded to this message. You have young people all over the country moving forward. I mentioned that we had a big boost of support. We had 42,000 help us since I finally got to talk about it in the second debate. So I don't think there's any question that we've had success moving the needle. And, and so I think that this has been a positive experience. And I'm 
around hearing from people who were happy. We were in it, end quote. I, for one, am certainly happy that Inslee ran for president, even though he was not ultimately elected, so that he could raise awareness on climate change and move the needle on the issue in a more progressive direction. Inslee's comments that his plans to combat climate change now essentially represent a governing document that could be used to effectively direct the nation towards a more environmental future are incredibly inspiring, and I really hope that these plans and these initiatives are eventually adopted in some form or fashion by the United States federal government. Inslee's fellow 2020 Democratic presidential candidates acknowledged the importance of his campaign, Booker, who himself and Inslee acknowledged, was ranked second only to Inslee by Greenpeace in terms of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidate's plans to combat climate change in the CNN YouTube video titled, Jay Inslee Blast Joe Biden on Climate Plan Our Houses on Fire, tweeted on August 21st, 2019, quote, thank you at Jay Inslee for advancing the conversation about the urgent threat of climate change. Our country is better for it. I know you will continue to be a powerful voice and move the needle on this issue. We'll be right there with you." End quote. 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar also tweeted on August 21st, 2019, quote, Governor at Jay Inslee made the climate crisis the centerpiece of his campaign, and our nation is better because of it. Thank you for the bold ideas you brought to this race, Governor. End quote. 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Tom Steyer, who also focused heavily on climate change, tweeted on August 21st, 2019, quote, At Jay Inslee is a visionary leader and a friend. We all owe him a debt of gratitude for his wisdom, his commitment, and his basic goodness. Thank you. We will continue the fight against climate change. End quote. 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Kirsten Gillibrand tweeted on August 21st, 2019, quote, Climate change is the most grave threat we face, and we need leaders who match the challenge with the same urgency. At Jay Inslee has modeled that leadership, and I'm grateful for his role in this primary. Let's keep up the fight for our planet. End quote. Adopting Inslee's plans to combat climate change, I believe, is the best way to honor his 2020 Democratic presidential campaign and the incredible work he did to promote environmental justice. I strongly implore the United States federal government to endorse the options outlined in Inslee's plan to mitigate the climate change crisis. If decisive action is not taken to combat the repercussions of climate change, then the United States could truly be engulfed in flames. A world on fire would no longer be a hypothetical apocalypse looming large in the nightmares of environmental activists. A world on fire would be our devastating reality, leaving nothing left in its wake. Thank you for listening to Politics with Paxton. Please follow me on Twitter at PoliticsWPaxton, where you'll find all the latest news, updates, and episodes of Politics with Paxton.